James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... Well, paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. Some... He probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, man. No question. What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. So, in case you guys haven't been familiar, this is my fourth part of a four-part college basketball, um, I guess, preview segment, whatever we want to call it. And college basketball is quickly approaching. We have games starting on Monday, November 7th already. So, with me today, we have last but definitely not least, we have Tristan Freeman of Fansided's Busting brackets. So, Tristan, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic, Stephen. I'm glad we're just uh, one weekend away from the start of the season. Yeah, and again, there's not really any games on Monday specifically that really, you know, stick out. But college basketball is college basketball. We all love it. We've all been seeing some of the exhibitions going on. I know you've – I have you been to a couple exhibitions? I know you've been watching and tweeting about some of them. Yeah, I went to both the Pits and RMUs this past weekend. Okay, okay. So yeah, I'm, college basketball is in full swing. So I wanted Tristan specifically for this last episode because as you guys have been listening, I had part one, I had the guys from No Ceilings to kind of break down a lot of the freshman and NBA prospects. In part two, I had Kai McKeon from Three Man Weave and Connor Hope from, um, excuse me, Heat Check. And we, you know, we kind of broke down teams there. And then in part three, we had Matthew Winnick on and you know he kind of brought us in the betting aspect and the Ken Palm aspect of everything. So now I have Tristan on basically to talk about the player aspect of college basketball this year. And as I talked about in previous episodes, the transfer portal has kind of revolutionized college basketball. Like Tristan, I don't know if you feel this way too, but I I think this is the most parody we've had in college basketball in quite some time. And as I'm an NBA front office podcast, it reminds me a lot of NBA free agency now with like how transfers are just auto eligible now. Well, most of them are auto eligible now. And it's a lot of fun seeing how these guys we've seen in one school, how they're going to fill with the new school. And we're going to get into all that. So what do you think overall with the transfer market? Is it a positive thing for college basketball? Yeah, absolutely. I think the ability to change your roster and fix keyholes that you had before rather than having to, to, deal with them year after year it has always been improvement and and why and it's it's hurt the preseason predictions for everyone because you never know which breakout transfers can come out of nowhere but it's created new stars you know a lot of these major stars like like uh, jelly walker you know was role players in one stop now now they're nationally recognized players it it, it's it's created new storylines that wouldn't have happened and ultimately change is fairly good and and Players not having to sit out a year, I I, I think it, it, it in a way helps their development as well. Yeah, and a perfect example, I know you just mentioned Jelly Walker, but 
vice versa that um, Jake LaRavia, you know, he went from Indiana State to Wake Forest and he ended up being a first-round pick in the NBA draft. So, you know, the transfer portal is kind of giving these guys opportunities he might not have had at a smaller school. Mm -hmm. And you can argue uh, Trey Murphy of Virginia who came from Rice. Yep, another perfect one from Rice. Yep. Okay. So Tristan came out with this article. It's basically his top 100 players to not only keep an eye on, but just about how would you phrase it? The top 100 players in college basketball, I guess? Yeah, then my projection for who the best players will be throughout this upcoming season. So when you say the best, who the best players will be, do you, like, I, I know we just talked about this before we started recording, but like a Chris Murray, for example. If you had to do a list, like, from just what they've done so far and what they've accomplished, he definitely wouldn't be in this list. But I, I know for a fact, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but we're going to talk about him anyway. I think you have him at 34. You're projecting a big breakout from him now that his twin brother, I twins, right? Yeah, I believe they're twins. His twin brother Keegan Murray, obviously All American and NBA, um, fourth overall pick in the draft. So, is that just your concept of it? Just kind of projecting how guys are going to be? Yeah, and it it would be hard to do a list of guys that you think would be good and exclude those just because they didn't have as large roles, mm-hmm. like guys who who I think are consensus breakout stars. If you leave them out the top 100 and then they end up being those breakout guys, then your list kind of looks a little weird. So especially for a lot of these sophomores that are coming in that take it on bigger roles, you can sort of, and like all preseason predictions, you know, make your guess as to who's really going to show out. And I think that's the case, especially for those who, you know, pick teams like Creighton in the top 10. Mm -hmm. I wanted my list to sort of reflect that. If I I think Creighton is going to be a really good team, then a few of those sophomores should probably be on the list, like an Arthur Kaluma or or Ryan Emnhardt. Yeah, and we saw last year that the kind of like two sexy breakout guys, one Keegan Murray obviously was a big one, and he ended up being an All-American fourth pick in the draft. And Jaden Ivey, same thing, All-American fifth pick in the draft. Those were two guys who rose from freshman and sophomore year that really broke out. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, and you probably don't have an answer for me, because you wrote an article of who you project to be the best guys. Is there any under-the-radar people, even if they are on your list, that you think could have a massive breakout? Ooh. I, I, I think if you look at transfers from the mid-majors that come up a level, that sort of rise or national radar, like a, a Darian Trammell, mm-hmm. uh, San Diego That's State, cool. like he was really good at Seattle. Now he's on a potential Final Four team. If he if – he, uh, replicates the stats he has Seattle at San Diego State and they make a deep run, then he's going to be put in the top 25 discussion because because that's usually what happens for players to elevate. But I think you could argue for any sophomore, like Nolan Hickman didn't make uh, didn't uh, make the list, but I think you know with the large role in Mark Few's successful point guards, mm-hmm. I think you 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 can see him having a big sophomore breakout year. And he's going to have to have that in order for the Bulldogs to be true national title contenders. Yeah, I'm looking. Um, okay, you do. Okay, I, I was going to say, you just said you don't have Nolan Hickman on your list, so I instantly went to Julian Strother. And I was like, you have to have him somewhere. Like, so he's number 19. So there you go. Um, yeah, okay. So usually I did an episode like this on my other podcast that's currently on in hiatus, the NBA goal with – um, one of my friends who's a diehard college basketball fan, and we just went through the top 50 best players, in my opinion. It was my own personal list of college basketball. 
That exercise was helpful because I realized if I start from 50 and go all the way up to one, I'm going to spend more time talking about the lower guys rather than the higher rank guys. So everyone, I go definitely recommend you check out this article. I am going to link it in the podcast notes. So that way everyone has access to it. So you can follow along. So I'm going to start at number one. That way, you know, we're not talking about the lesser players and obviously lesser players, lack of a better term, the better players. So Let's talk about, let's just start with the top few. So, as I said, I had Connor Hope and Kai McKeonong to basically talk about teams. And I had both them on together because they were for the Almanac. And Tristan, I know I've seen you retweeting stuff from the Almanac. Um, and I'm sure if you guys listen to that podcast, you're already familiar with it. But they coined it as the most comprehensive basketball guide to the college basketball season there is. And I bring that up because the name of the Almanac is the Almanac Year of the Big. And... I don't know if it has to do with NIL. I don't know if it has to do with just these guys aren't big NBA prospects because they're more of old school big man. But I'm looking at the guys at the top of your list. Obviously, Oscar Toshibwe, who was um, National Player of the Year last year, center for Kentucky. Drew Timmes, center from Gonzaga. Maybe Powell Fall, big man from Gonzaga. Armado Baycott from UNC, who obviously they lost the national championship. Hunter Dickinson, big man from Michigan. Trey Jackson Davis, big man from Indiana. Zach Eady, big man from Purdue. Those are six of your top eight. All big men. And they're all, obviously, this this article, by the way, everyone, is just upperclassmen. There's no freshmen in it. Just because freshmen, what, Tristan, I'm assuming it'd be too difficult to kind of, you haven't seen them play college basketball game yet. Right, right. I, I didn't want to make a prediction where were Keontae George versus Julian Strother because yeah. one, I, I can't, I can't judge them based on high school clips. Okay. So those for your returning guys, six of the top eight are all big men that were either all Americans or, you know what? I'll throw Colin Castleton who have 13 in here as well. I mean, they're all big men that were either all Americans already national player of the year in Oscar Tshibwe's case or borderline or, pretty damn good, if not borderline All-American type guys. So, I, I know, like, Toshiwe, for example, he can't take NIL in the U.S., so that's why Kentucky did the Bahamas tour, but I know, like, Drew teammate too, they said, I'm making more money coming back to college basketball than I would be as a two-way guy in the NBA, for example. So, NIL has definitely impacted that, and as a result, we have all these big men coming back. So, obviously, Tashibwe's ranked number one. It, would you say, Tristan, that Tashibwe, he should be the favorite? We haven't seen a guy return to college basketball coming off National Player of the Year since, I believe it was um Tyler Hansborough in 2009. Yep. So, what do you think? Tashibwe, National Player of the Year again? Or do you think Team A or somebody else could get it? I think there's going to be an element of fatigue. With, with Tashibwe, and, and part of why he won it, he, he led the nation to rebounding, and his numbers at times were absurd, like a number of 20 and 20 games. Obviously, he played for Kentucky, and considering that they struggled the year before, he played a big part in turning them quickly back around into a title contender until the, the St. Peter's loss. So it, he was fresh in everyone's mind coming over from West Virginia. Unless he goes for an average in 20 and 17, I'm not sure if he can just put up 17 and 14 again unless they unless they come against the you know top 10 teams throughout the year. I think there will be a desire to go for someone else. 
Baycott may have a little fatigue as his own because, you know, the, the Tar Heels got all the headlines going to a title game. Timmy's been, been you know, in the focal point for a while. I, ironically, you know, it's the year of the big, but there's a legit chance that a Marcus Sasser could win the award because he's coming back from injury. This could be the best Houston team they've had under Kelvin Sampson. They're going to win 30-plus games based on their, their schedule. So it wouldn't be surprising if a guard wins it at all, considering how it talks about the bigs. But it, it's definitely crowded. I, I, you you have to, in the preseason, give Tashibwe the, the honor of being number one because he, he was the best player. And hopefully the, the knee surgery he had isn't serious. But it, I, 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 if I had to be a betting man, I would actually say Sasser. Houston's going to be phenomenal in the final fours in Houston. So they definitely haven't sent him to get there. Um, you mentioned Baycott. So Baycott's interesting because you have him ranked as the third best player in college basketball this year, but not only is there a little bit of fatigue coming off the national championship last year, but we also have, you have Caleb Love from UNC 16th on this list, RJ Davis 22 and Pete Dance 39. So similar to like the NBA MVP award where like, you know, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry never won MVPs when they played together. So mm-hmm. uh, I feel like because of that, because your supporting cast is so much better. Obviously, Toshibwe had a great supporting cast with Kentucky last year. But because of that, I, I feel like there's definitely going to be some fatigue. I mean, I like Time. I like him a lot. I, I think Gonzaga is the best team in the nation this year. But Sasser, no. Sasser, I like that pick a lot for Houston. Um... So let me see here. Dickinson, Kendrick Davis. Let's talk about him. So Kendrick Davis is number six on this list. He was a point guard for SMU, and now he moved to Memphis. Memphis last year, I feel like Penny Hardaway, again, hasn't quite had the success that he wanted to. Memphis obviously had a ton of hype as a preseason top 10 team with Imani Bates and Jalen Doran coming in. But they tried Imani Bates a point guard. That experiment didn't work. I love the idea of Kendrick Davis getting coached up by Penny Hardaway because now Penny Hardaway finally has like his true like point guard that he could like utilize. So what do you think? Is that going to be a positive development for him? Oh, it's, it's going to be huge. I mean, Penny's done great for guard. He's done excellent work with the bigs. You know, when we look at, he had James Wiseman for a couple of times, but uh, Precious Achua, who was the AC player of the year, DeAndre Williams, who's back, who's a quality big man of 26 years old. So the front court's always been fine. It's been the backcourt. You know, they have, they have Boogie Ellis, who was okay when he was a freshman there. Alex Lomax past couple of years. Uh, oh, Tim. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of a bunch of guards who needed the ball but wasn't efficient with it. Mm-hmm. In comes Kendrick Davis, who was not, who actually put up better stats the year before, but didn't win the award. He was averaging like nineteen and seven for SMU. Now he's now he's surrounded with a better cast, a uh, more talented team, a defensive minded team. If he puts up the stats that that he should on what sh- what I think can be a top twenty five team then his national profile will rise even more and potentially put him on an all-American level because he is truly one of the best guards in the country. Now he's going to be on a bigger stage while still being able to dominate in the AAC. Yeah, and he's he's familiar with the conference already. He's played there. He knows it. He knows his opponents. But again, coaches know him, know how to coach against him maybe, but that that, that didn't seem to phase him too much. Um, So let me see... Zach Eady, let me jump down to him real quick at number eight. Would it shock you if he won National Player of the Year? 
I just don't know how good Purdue's going to be. I, I see the that, look in your face. I feel like that might be that, as well. That's, that's the concern because we don't give mid-major guys who put up incredible stats, you know, those type of awards because they're on teams that don't matter. Mm-hmm. If Purdue finishes eighth in the Big Ten and ED averages 20, 25, and, t- and 10, which he could if he plays 30 minutes, it, it, it'll be rough unless someone else puts up absurd stats on a top 10 team. Yeah. So I, I, I think in a weird way, I think Edie's numbers will be up there. I think he'll produce the best numbers in the Big Ten. But I think Trace Jackson Davis and Hunter Dickinson will put up somewhat similar numbers on much better teams. I'm not high on Purdue's backcourt, and I think that's going to be a problem for them. And if Edie can't play more than 25 minutes, you know, at times if he ever gets in foul trouble or maybe teams run him off the floor because he could be a liability on the defensive end, mm-hmm. then he may not end up putting the stats. He'll have some huge games this year. I could see him go for a 35-15 a couple of times. But overall, as talented as he is and as unstoppable as he is one-on-one, I do think the lack of a supporting cast is going to hurt him. He's going to face a ton of double teams this year. Yes, yeah, so- especially in the Big Ten, but I just feel like obviously this Hunter Dickinson, um, I I don't really, I'm not in love with any of the other big men in the Big Ten, so that's why I'm thinking that, um, you know, Edie could just have that monster season. Um, Let's move on to the Big 12. Let me talk about Adam Flagler real quick at number nine. So Flagler was the sixth man for that Baylor National Championship team. He played behind Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. And he, he was injured most of last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Good part of the last year, yeah. yeah. So what makes you think that uh, – obviously health plays into it, but what makes you think that – number nine, I don't know, to me, when I read initially, I'm like, hmm, that seems a little high. I don't think it's that outrageous. But oh, obviously, again, health plays a huge factor into it. But I don't know, sell me on Flagler. At number yeah. Nine. When he was healthy last year, he was an outstanding guard. And, and Baylor's backcourt was a little was a little in and out because Cryer was also injured while scoring. And they had James Akinjo who needed the ball. But whenever Flagler was healthy and the focal point of the offense, he he was great and the team was great. He's an outstanding two-way guard, has the national championship pedigree. So that probably boosted him a little bit in my rankings. I th- I'm high on Baylor. I think they're a title contender. I have them top five of my team rankings. So I felt like the best guard on the team, especially considering that I believe that Baylor, along with Houston, are the two best backcourts in the country. I felt that it was it, it was necessary to have him in the top ten, along with Sasser of Houston. Yeah. Um. Real quick, I'm gonna have you hold yours, but since I already revealed mine in a previous episode, I'm just gonna talk about it now while we're talking about good backcourts. I'm a big, and that's my final four predictions. Um, I'm a huge proponent of elite backward play really taking you far in March Madness. Mm-hmm. So I, I know like um Kai and both Connor, they both agreed, like, yeah, like more times than not, yes, this is the year of the big, but you know, backwards really do take you a long way in March Madness. Um, so Houston, I have as one of my teams in the final four with their backward, and you said Houston and you said um who Baylor, who we were just talking about. I have both of those teams in because of their backcourts. I have Gonzaga because I think they're the best team in the country. And then every Final Four has a Cinderella team. I put in Miami. And I'm sure we'll talk about Najah Pack and Isaiah Wong, 
But I think that backcourt could be deadly. Um, so I just want to throw that out there while we are on the subject of, you know, elite backcourts. I mean, very well, UCLA, they have an elite backcourt as well with Jaime Hawkes and Tiger Campbell. So let's move on to Hawkes real quick. I actually had, when we did our All-American picks last episode, I had Kai and Connor try to sell me the pitch on Jaime Hawkes. And the pitch was, he's the ultimate glue guy. And that, so does that warrant, obviously to you it does, because you haven't ranked 10. Does the ultimate glue guy warrant him being the 10th best player in the nation? Or do you think he's more than that? I, I, think, I think he can be even better than that, especially okay. with uh, Johnny Juzang gone, uh, that he'll be the focal point on the wing. Because at times he had to play second fiddle to Juzang, who was a, a, a more true scorer. There were times where Hawkins could go for 25. The issue with him on overall was the inconsistency of his scoring output. But he he put up 14 as the third option. He'll probably be the first option this year, depending on what happens with uh, uh, Amari Bailey. But he, he's already an elite defender. He's, he, his switchability is so vital to Mick Cronin's defense. I, I personally am really high on UCLA. I have them in the top seven. And, and I, I think Hawkins has a great chance to be the best player on that team. So, so I, I could absolutely see him being an All-American candidate because I do believe that he'll average at least 15, 16 points per game while still being elite defensively. Okay, so that's UCLA. Let's move on to Miami's backward who I just brought up. Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack, how do you think they fit together? I, I think they're, they're two of the better shot creators in the country. Uh, Pack was, considering how great the, the Big 12 defenses were, to shoot 46% from three and be as efficient as he was with little help around him, it, it speaks to how offensively talented he is. And Wong has been, you know, there for Miami and, you know, as great as McGusty and uh, Charlie Moore was, uh, Wong was the guy who gets on the bucket anytime. I think both, both of them – warrant you know being in the top 25 guard players in the country my concern though is will it be will it be fluid between them or will it be your turn my turn iso ball and there's not going to be a ton of passing uh pack pack was a, a a more of a facilitator as a freshman compared to last year he was a better scorer but only put up a couple assists a game and wong's never been much of a passer so i think the loss of charlie moore who was a true point guard it could be felt this year, but I do think Miami will put up points. Otis come down to whether or not the facilitating part holds them back when it comes to being a, a, a team that could make another potential right in March. Yeah, Nigel Pack, for those of you who are unfamiliar, transferred from Kansas State to Miami, got a huge $400,000 NIL deal from um, Miami's big booster, whose name is slipping my mind right now. Um Basically convinced him to go there and got Isaiah Wong, who initially entered the transfer portal, to come back. So, okay, let's talk about number 20 on your list, Jalen Wilson. Again, you guys know I'm a big NBA front office guy. That's my thing. So, when I'm watching the NBA Combine, Jalen Wilson blew me away. And I think that was the sentiment with a lot of people. But, ultimately, he shot, what, I think 28, 29% from three last year? Yeah. He, he has to drastically improve that if... He wants to be a legitimate first-round pick. And I think he could get there. Um, so Jalen Wilson, I mean, what you have him 20, so obviously you're high on him as well. Do you, do you think the shot eventually comes around, or is he just that good already? No, I, it'll have to. I think he has the ability with a full year. Like last year, he, he, he 
just about missed most of the non-conference in terms of his role coming off the DUI arrest and suspension. He, he was coming off the bench, and he never really got into a groove until Big 12 play. But when that happened, he was averaging around 15 and 8. And I think without Ochai Baji, without Christian Brown, and without Remy Morton, this is a this Kansas team does have some questions on offense. You know, they're gonna have to rely on the fret on the freshman wings, Grady Dick and MJ Rice to, to produce. So I think this is gonna be Jalen Wilson's team. He's gonna be the number one option on offense. That may that that may deter some people from thinking that they're true contenders, but but I'm high on him. And I think with the with the usage and the fact that he's going to be the go-to option, I think he's going to produce a lot, and he and he's a talented player overall. So, so I, I do think with a with a healthy start to the season, with uh, with no issues off the court, that he'll he'll be just fine and be the the best player on on a Kansas team that that could repeat as uh, well, at least make it to the Final Four and be a, a Big Twelve contender once again. Yeah, I talked about this last episode. The Big Twelve. They're definitely the best um, conference of college basketball. I mean, they had the last two national champions in Baylor and Kansas. And then in 2020, the tournament was canceled when Kansas was the favorite to win it all. 2019, Texas Tech lost in the national championship. And 2018, I believe it was Kansas lost in the national championship. So they've had somebody in the last four national championships, and it might have been five in a row, had 2020 not been canceled. And it wouldn't shock me again if Baylor or Kansas made it this year. So... Again, best player or maybe the best team in the best conference. So, yeah, definitely see why you have him that high. Um, I really love your list of guys between, let's say, 31 to 40. So I, I want to talk about Darius McGee at 24, and I'm going to lump him with 31 and 32. And that's Jordan Walker from UAB. Again, Darius McGee goes to Liberty. And Max Osmus from Oral Roberts. Three smaller guards who are all coming out of mid-major schools, but all three could get to the tournament because they're all the best teams in the conference, just about. And, I mean, Osmus we saw already when he got Oral Roberts to Sweet 16 when they had Kevin O'Banner there, and he ended up being a borderline NBA first-round prospect and ended up going back to school. So he needs to rehabilitate that value. So I think, I believe he led the nation in scoring that year as well, if I'm not mistaken. At least in the top three, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. either way. Um, So last year, I don't want to say a down year for him, but I think this is definitely the year where he's going to establish himself as, look, I, I know all of us is a smaller mid-major school, but... I'm establishing myself as an NBA prospect. Darius McGee, I'm not as sure. Again, this is me talking more of an NBA aspect because it, McGee's what, 5'7", I think, 5'8"? He's short. Yeah, 5'8". And Jelly Walker is the biggest out of the three, but uh, 5'11", maybe, 6 mm-hmm. foot. Yeah. So all three of those guys, I mean, I, I just appreciate that you incorporated these guys and all three of these guys – would it shock you if two of them ended up being All-American? I don't think all three of them will be just because the teams might not be all good enough to get on. But Yeah, I, I think Darius McGee has the best chance because he, he's going to be on a really good Liberty team. I think they're going to be the big favorites uh, in A-Sun again. He's, he's Despite his lack of size, he's one of the best shot creators in the country. He can get to the basket. He's a great shooter. And he produces on, on a fairly slow-paced Liberty team. So imagine if you put Darius McGee in Max Asmus' uh, system and Oral Roberts, who, who, who's always uh, scoring. 
I think he has to – I would give him the edge because he could probably average 25 this year. I think what hurts Aismas a bit is that, you know, he's in a conference where South Dakota State dominates every year. Yeah. So it, it's harder. I mean, even the year when he made it to a tournament, it was a bit of a run because they were fourth in the league. So yeah. they'll, 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 they'll have their struggles. What might hurt Jelly Walker is that he's on a loaded team. Uh, Eric Gaines. He's already impressive. They, they brought the uh, – they brought the Brewer brothers from East Tennessee State. Both of them can produce. So there's a good chance that UAB will be even better than last year, but Walker's numbers will go down because there's there's more talent to spread it around. Yeah. And Conference USA might be a two-bid league this year with between them and UAB, North Texas, Western Kentucky, FAU, Middle Tennessee. They're, they're all good teams. So I'm really hoping for Jelly Walker's sake that, you know, he gets to play on – that big stage because North Texas has gone what I believe the last two years. Oh no, UAB made it last year. What am I saying? Um, either way, definitely. I would love to see that team make it. To, I would love to see all three of these guys in the NCAA tournament where guard play could really shine. Um, as I said, guys on the system, 30 to 40. I love all of them. Tyrese Hunter. When we were giving our favorite transfers on episode two of this four part breakdown, my favorite, I had three favorite transfers and all three of them are on your list. So we could lump them all in together right now. You have 33 Tyrese Hunter. I love how he's going to incorporate his perimeter defense into Chris Beard's system going from Iowa State to Texas. Baylor Shireman, who I believe you have at 56. I think Creighton desperately needed an elite shooter. And, you know, he provides that for them. I think he was the most underrated transfer in the nation to commit, and that's why I think I'm a bit higher on Creighton than most. And the third transfer I had was Mark Sears going from Ohio to Alabama. Um, Sears, we didn't really get to see a whole lot of him behind Jason Preston. I believe he was on the team then. And then um, last year, you know, he had the keys, did great. And Nate Oates, I love what he does with point guards. So I really think with Javon Quinley out to start the year that Mark Sears is really going to thrive. So what do you think of the fit of all three of those guys? Hunter, Sears, and Shireman with the yes. new squad. Yeah, so for Sears, especially with the injury of Javon Quinterly, mm-hmm. Alabama needed another ball handler, and they have five-star Jay Bradley, but he's unproven. But, but Sears, he can play on and off the ball, shot 41% from three, a great score, underrated rebounder. He, he, he'll he fit very nicely in NATO's system. I think Shireman, he, he, he gives uh, – you know, create and shoot him, but he can do a little bit of everything. He's a passer, he's a rebounder, he can he's a scorer. It'll be interesting to see what Creighton asks of him because Arthur Kaluma and Kyle Brenner, they're, they're going to handle the rebounder. You already have ball handlers and Alexander and Nemhard. Will Shireman be relegated to just simply an off the ball shooter, mm-hmm. which can certainly help them win, but he can do more than that. So it'll be interesting to see what his production is. And then Tyrese Hunter. It ultimately will come down to the system that Chris Beard has because he it, it'll just the slow pace system sort of affected Marcus Carr, who's one of the top transfers from the year prior, and then other guards like Courtney Ramey, uh, Andrew Jones, and them they 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 never really meshed. Mm-hmm. So will Hunter come in and be the true point guard and Carr play off the ball? Will it be sort of a similar situation to what Miami could have, where it's your turn, my turn? Will they play faster pace? They had a, a, a great reported result against Alabama, uh, Arkansas in scrimmage where they beat them by 30. 
So it seems like, you know, all things started off well for them. It'll be interesting to see what Tyrese Hunter's production looks like because it could be 13 points and five assists, but it could be on a top 10 caliber team because there's just so much more talent around him compared to Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Iowa State, he turned the program around from two wins to 22 wins. He played a big part in that. So, um, okay, Marcus Carr, you just talked about him. Let me see. You have him 50, 67. So, again, you, you just kind of discussed what, how you think him and Hano will coexist and how they'll mesh together. Um, I'm looking at Marcus Carr to have a bounce back year, too, because he was a monster when he was in Minnesota. And last year, his first year at Texas, again, I, that Texas team, I was so high on them going to the year. I love Trey Mitchell. I still adore him to this day now that he's a West Virginia. Um, Timmy Allen, Dylan Dysu. They just they added too many pieces, I feel like, and they just couldn't figure it out in Chris Beard's first year there. So I feel like now that there's more continuity, obviously Hunter they're adding into the fold, but I, I am looking at Carl to have a pretty big breakout year. Um, so between let me see okay, so we're talking about breakouts. At 34 and 36 on your list, you have Chris Murray and you have Dayron Holmes. Chris Murray, obviously Keegan Murray's twin brother from Iowa, and Dayron Holmes from Dayton. Both of them either had, well, obviously Chris Murray, his twin brother's Keegan. So obviously he's going to get that comparison no matter how different of a player he is. But Daylon Holmes is getting a lot of comparisons to Obi Toppin, a similar guy who had a huge breakout for Dayton. And again, if the NCAA tournament had not been canceled in 2020, Dayton probably would have been a one seed that year. So do you see a similar type projection or breakout from both those guys, the same way that like the guys are being compared to him. Yeah, I, for Chris Murray, yes, because historically the focal point of any uh, Iowa offense ha- has shined. Like it's very rare for a leading scorer to average twelve. So I, I think Murray, who was very effective in limited minutes, only averaged seventeen minutes a game, mostly off the bench, and still almost averaged double figures. Imagine what happens when those numbers double. Like I, I think. He, he he it's not even just because of his brother but the fact that he was really good in his own right i think mm-hmm. even without keegan's own breakout if you just look at what chris did on his own last year he would have been a breakout candidate as well it just makes it so much easier when you see what happened to keegan who was a, a successful pick from everyone the year prior in the preseason for for holmes dayton was very good if you exclude the lasalle hiccup and in the first week of last season they were they were one of the 30 best teams in the country. I think they're already ranked in the preseason. Assuming Malachi Smith can come back and solidify the point guard position for them again, Holmes is is going to produce numbers. He was averaging around 15 and 11 in the last month of the season. He's already an elite defender and shot blocker. And you also saw with him and, and Tamari Kamara, the front court pairing that sort of struggled a bit coming out. Now that they sort of figure that out, I think you're going to see Holmes really blossom as one of the best big men in the country. If he if he was on a power conference team, then I think he would be getting even more hype. But he's going to be on, on a, a top 20 team all season day in the, favorite, the preseason favorite for most people to win the A-10, and, he, and he's going to have a phenomenal year. Yeah. Um... Uh, I'm I'm excited for again just college basketball season in general. I mean, I think this is gonna be such a treat seeing so many good teams. Um, 
while we're on data, and let's talk about a team that's very comparable to them in the aspect of they're not a major conference school, but again, might be a Final Four contender. And I'm thinking of San Diego State in the Mountain West, and then I think of Wyoming. So let's see, we have, you put Matt Bradley at number 18, but he wasn't even Mountain West preseason player of the year. That went to Graham Ike in Wyoming. And then they also have, who's, you have 69th on this list. And then Hanno Maldonado, I believe you have somewhere. You have him 80 seconds. So what, what do you think of these three Mountain West guys? I mean, Wyoming obviously brought in Two big transfers. They brought in the two UCLA guys. I'm blanking on the names, unfortunately. San Diego State, we already talked about bringing in Darian Trammell. And most of them were bringing back a good portion of the team. So, uh, And then let, let's lump in Isaiah Stevens as well, Colorado State. Let's just talk about all four of those Mountain West guys. Um, who do you think is, I don't say the best because you obviously rank Bradley number one, but do, do you think Graham Ike rightly deserves being preseason player of the year? Let's start with that. It was an interesting pick because San Diego State was the clear favorite, and Matt Bradley was the best player on that team. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I would have given it to Bradley, but if Ike's performance, he he was nearly a twenty and ten guy. Like his, because of there's so many bigs, his own performances has sort of flown under the radar, along with with Maldonado, who's who's a, a a daily triple double threat. So Ike getting rec- recognition doesn't bother me at all, but I, I would have given it to Bradley because I, I think San Diego State, because of the defense, which also Bradley plays a huge part in, and that doesn't necessarily get, you know, the credit when it comes to compared to other guys who put up better box score numbers. Yeah. Like EK yeah. Mountain Auto will produce better stats than Bradley, but Bradley's going to be on the team that goes far, further in March than Wyoming. Yeah. From from um. Colorado State. He's actually hurt, so he should be back before conference play, but the hope is conference play. And and it's a shame because without David Roddy, he was going to be the focal point of Colorado State and he was going to put and he was going to put up a lot of numbers. Now the Rams are going to have to figure out a way how to survive without him heading into conference play without, you know, destroying their at large resume too much. I wonder if with Steven's injury, if Colorado State one could stay afloat, and as a result, if the Mountain West could be a three. They were a three bid league last year, I believe. Four. Four, four, yeah, you're right. Because Boise, yeah, Boise as well. Um, so what do you think? Are they gonna get two in? Are they gonna get three in? Or San Diego State is safe in my mind. I think Wyoman's non-conference puts them in a good position. I think they're gonna be at large. Their conference tournaments tend 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 to uh, get a little crazy, so I wouldn't be surprised if someone upsets the Aztecs. I think three would be good because I, there, there's questions with the other power conference teams and how many they'll get, like the ACC and Big Ten. So I think that there'll be enough for Mountain West to squeeze out three this year. Yeah, and Boise State always finds a way to upset teams in those tournaments. So they're 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 a hell of a team always. Um, okay. So let me see. And you talk about the parody of that conference tournament. I, I remember when San Diego State was undefeated that one um, a few years ago, the COVID year when the tournament was canceled and they ended up losing in the conference championship anyway. Um, okay. Isaiah Mosley, obviously going from Missouri State to Missouri, shot 50-40-90 last year. What do you think? I mean, um, they just hired the... He's one of my favorite coaches in the nation. I'm blanking on his name, the Cleveland State guy. Um, 
Dennis Gates. Yep, Dennis Gates. One of Dennis Gates, though, I feel like he's a very defensive-minded coach, mm-hmm. and he got a very offensively good weapon in Mosley. So I'm just interested to see in how that marriage works. But what do you think Mosley now that he's in a power conference? Well, uh, you have him again, top 40. So clearly you think highly, but what's your opinion of Mosley? Yeah. To be as efficient as he was with so with such a high usage rate and taking as many shots as he did is highly impressive. Being a 50, 40, 90 guy while going for 20 in, in one of the better conferences in the country in Missouri Valley. Like they, he, he had to go up against some good defenses, and he was scoring on them as well. So to go to the SEC, arguably the top conference next to the Big 12, against all those defenses and all those athletes, it's going to be a very tough sign. If he if he can produce anywhere near that level, then Missouri could be a team because they also returned Kobe Brown mm-hmm. and several other good defensive uh, mid-major transfers. Mosley will be one of the more important players to watch this year because he could single-handedly turn Missouri into a, a sneaky under-the-radar threat in the SEC. Yeah, and Brown, you have 88th on this list. So, um, you know, he's heck of a player as well. Um, okay, now let's talk about one of my favorite draft prospects. Number 40, Torquavian Smith. I loved him when I scouted him last year. Um, before, and honestly, it was pretty shocking when he withdrew from the draft. I talked about that with the guys from New Ceilings in episode one. So if you want to hear more on that, go listen to that. But he was like a sure-fired first-round pick. He had the best combine of just about anybody. And then out of nowhere, he withdrew and said, I'm going back to school for my sophomore year. So I, I think the biggest thing for him is that he needs to get stronger so he gets better at finishing because he was just too skinny. He was missing easy shots. I, that was Gilly's biggest issue, and I think ultimately why he ended up deciding to go back to school. So, obviously, they added DJ Burns now. Darian Sebron is gone. What do you think, NC State? You you, you like Tokagian Smith, I'm assuming? You have him 40? Yeah, I, I think he'll, he'll definitely put up numbers. Like, he, he's without without Sebron, he's going to be the focal point of the offense. I think uh, Keats surrounded him with, with better defenders and, and cable passers. So, It'll be a Smith show. I think the question will be, will he be efficient enough on a daily basis for him to win? Because if he doesn't go for 15-plus, then they probably lose. But more than that, he's also going to have to be a better defender because he has the size to be in the NBA. So, And it's a two-way sword because if you have the size to play defense, then you should be expected to play defense. Mm -hmm. No one on the Wolfpack team played defense last year, which is why they are last. So it'll be interesting – I think for his draft prospects, how he does as a passer as well and, and as a defender. But when it comes to just being a pure scorer, he's one of the best in the country. And if NC State can finish in the, somehow in the top six, then he'll probably make a case to be one of the top 20 players and even ACC player of the year. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about most of the guys I want to touch on in the top 50. Again, it's tough to talk about all 100 guys on this list. So – Again, I'm going to link this article into the podcast description. Definitely go check it out. But the last guy I want to talk about, I hope he forgives me because I'm going to butcher his name. The breakout candidate from Arizona, Pele Lawson. Did I do okay? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I've heard Pele Larson. So Pele Lawson. Okay. <laughs> what, I've been hearing a lot of hype about him and being a pretty sexy breakout candidate. So what what's the hype around him? You have him 79 on this list. Yeah, he, he's an all-around guy, can do a little bit of everything. He, he's a ball handler. He's a wing. He's a defender. 
what I'm guessing is that they're probably going to want to take the ball out of Kira Kreese's hands a little bit so mm -hmm. that to try to make him a little more efficient. So if that happens, then you can see Larson with a larger role. He's a good shooter and, and literally can do a little bit of everything. It'll be interesting to see what breakout means for him. Like, will he be what Jaime Hawkins was last year? Like, that probably would be the goal mm -hmm. and be successful for him in Arizona. But I do wonder, especially considering how high I am on Azulis Tabellis, uh, being, yeah, yeah, being as high that he's going to be the focal point. I do think his 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 overall stats will be limited, but I think if if for Arizona State for Arizona to be a, a preseason Final Four contender, a Pac-12 favorite once again, they're going to need him to have a large impact, sort of like how Dallin Terry did, mm -hmm. but even more on the offensive end as well. I was going to say, he sounds a lot like, I know in the article you mentioned um, Dalen Terry. So he, he sounds like he's kind of going to step into that role alongside Kirk Creaser. So, okay. Um, let me get your final four. Ooh, so you, you mentioned a couple already. I uh, Houston, I think mm. they're going to have a nice oh, path. Wow. The, the, the storyline of them hosting the final four, I think is too much to, to resist. So I have them. Gonzaga's going to be a one seed in the West. And I, I think with Timmy, who has been fantastic in the tournament, if we, if we were ranking postseason players, he's easily number one. Mm -hmm. uh, UCLA, I think they're going to have one of the best defensive lineups in the country with, with Campbell, Hawkes, Jalen Clark, who, who I was considering putting on the list as well because he was averaging 18 a game when he was starting in, in a few times. We've seen him with an extended minute. So I think the Bruins team is actually better equipped Baker run March than they were the past two years. And then go with sleeper. I like Alabama. I okay. think when they get Quinterly back, that that, that backcourt is going to be set. Charles Bediaco, I, I think he can be a capable big when he's healthy. And then Brandon Miller, the five-star freshman. If we were, if I was including freshmen, then he would have been in the top 100, probably top 50, because he's 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 an excellent scoring wing. And I think he'll he'll give the balance needed on what should be an explosive offense. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. I mean, same theme that I kind of had, all great backcourts, seems like. UCLA and Alabama are two teams I didn't have and you did, and same thing, elite backcourt. So all very well-coached teams, too. Um, in the episode with Kai and Connor, we said, oh, yeah, well, they have a top-five coach in the nation. Oh, yeah, they have a top-five coach in the nation. We found ourselves saying that about, like, seven, eight different guys. Like, there's just so many. And that's with Jay Wright gone. That's with Coach K gone. That's with Roy Williams gone. There's just so many good, not only just players, but so many institutional, like, programs that are, like, set in stone that are just rock foundations that have a great coach and a great player development and everything along those lines. So I'm excited. I'm Again, I can't stress enough how excited I am for Monday to come and for the season to get underway. So, Tristan, anything else you'd like to plug? Oh, well, yeah, you can you can follow me on Twitter at HoopsNut351. I have takes every day throughout all the call season. Can't wait for the buy games. You can follow my work at Bustin' Brackets, the website and Twitter handle. And I also do uh, the Field 68 daily every Friday. So look for it coming out tomorrow. Subscribe to that if you like. Okay. You guys can follow me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. I will get this posted. You'll probably be hearing this sometime on Friday or over the weekend if you don't listen on Friday. But I will be posting it tomorrow night. And tomorrow, today's Thursday, so Friday night. 
And yeah, so this concludes the four-part season preview of college basketball. These are some of the greatest minds in college basketball that I, you know, I I I I would be remiss if I didn't get all of them on. So that's why I ended up getting seven of them for four different episodes. So again, Tristan, thank you so much for coming on. You guys can follow me at Bird Rights Pod, rate and review Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I will talk to you guys next episode. Thanks for listening.